Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today we're going to be speaking with my good friend, Rabin Das. Rab is a health and performance nutritionist with a master's degree in human nutrition and metabolism. And today we're going to be speaking about nutrition for endurance and team sport athletes. Let's talk science. How are you tonight? Good. I'm pretty tired. I just got back from being upside down for the last hour and a half. So yeah, feeling pretty good. So Spring you had handstand training. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, made some Basically progress, which is good. Standing around, like, is that like a class, or do you just go around and do it yourself? No, it's a class. So there's a lot of teaching and um, drills and stuff. So. That's pretty cool. Huh? Yeah. It's one thing I've actually always wanted to be able to do myself is a handstand, um, but I'm kind of more of kick your legs up into the air and. Um, Hit the ground pretty soon later. Yeah, it can happen. Happens a lot. It still happens to me. So uh, you're only mortal like the rest of us, Richie. Indeed. There's a load of people uh, online at the moment. Who do we have? We've got Killian. We've got Mark. Uh, who else do we have here? We've got Ollie, Stephen. We got John. How are you doing, guys? Great to see you all. Um, right. Just for anybody who might not know who you are, Rob. Um, do you want to give us a quick uh, introduction? Just basically, how did you get into nutrition and uh, kind of what do you do at the moment? Sure. Um, my name's Rab. I would call myself a, I suppose, a health and performance nutritionist by, by trade. Got into nutrition after my undergrad, which I did in cell biology. Found that I really liked kind of training and stuff like that and I found that nutrition was kind of like the nice segue into learning how to do more stuff in that way so I went to do my master's up in Aberdeen and then came back and was kind of like hey I want to do this as a career and have sort of been making my way in that for the last couple of years and have been doing it pretty well um, for the most part working at the minute with a couple of teams and then I work with kind of a mix of like performance-based clients and then I suppose general health clients and kind of more weight loss focused kind of individuals. And I love public speaking, so I'm trying to do a little bit more of that as well when I can. Oh, that's good. So that's, uh, that's you, pretty much you so readily to this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love hearing the sound of my voice. So that's kind of me. I suppose, Richie, now for, obviously we could have people joining us from my end of town who might not be familiar with who you are. So why don't you give them the rundown on who you are? Okay. Um, so similar to you in that I didn't start out nutrition immediately. I actually went uh, down the microbiology route. Um, so general science microbiology uh, took quite a career break. And then because I'd always been into, again, like you said, the training side of things and the nutrition side, it was something I like personally. I said, this is something I want to learn more about. So I did a master's in um, in nutrition, metabolism, and uh, currently doing my PhD in uh, nutri nutrition and exercise science here in Liverpool, um, and working as a health and performance nutritionist too. So basically helping people. Um, a lot of people with weight loss goals, um, a lot of people with muscle gain goals, and recently, and something that I'm really, really enjoying at the moment is working with a lot of people who are kind of trying to change their relationship around food. So people who want to basically uh, kind of, I'm going to say some people who've been with previous coaches or 
been you know uh, working on nutrients themselves and just got into uh, a, let's say a dependency on tracking and things like that. We're just kind of trying to help yeah. people themselves off that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the in cool. a nutshell. Um, so nice. Nice. we're going to talk tonight about um, about performance nutrition. So everything to do with how you can eat and how it can affect your performance in sports. Now you mentioned that you work with a couple of teams and you we work with a couple of athletes. So what kind of sports you are, are kind of, what kind of sports are they involved in? Yeah, so uh, one of them is a professional soccer outfit um, over here. One of them is uh, like amateur GAA, so more Gaelic football um, team. And then the just uh, kind of clients that I have are uh, more interested in kind of like marathon. So the endurance side of things, a couple of one or two triathlete kind of focused individuals, but it's kind of a case of marrying the performance side with still having a, a good understanding of body composition goals as well. So okay. yeah, I'm just going to say hello to a few more people who are checking us out. Uh, Justina, how are you doing? O'Donoghue Fitness, Jack, Karina, Viviana, chatting with you earlier today. How are you doing? Nutricate, great to see you. Sean, how are we doing, folks? Um, guys, if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a little bit of a bit of love down on the bottom there. Click away and uh, send those hearts flying. Um, hello, Simone, long time no see. Marco, great to see you. Um, okay, now, I want to talk a little bit about um, working with sports teams. Okay, so you said you, you work with soccer, and just for anybody who's... Um, Anybody who's not from Ireland, we do have another sport called football, so uh, that's why we're calling it soccer as well. Pe yeah. People used to look at me funny whenever I said soccer over here, and I was like, no, there's a distinction. Yeah, there's more than good. one ball game. Okay, so when it comes to – so football and soccer are two – they're two very, very fast field sports. Yeah. Slight differences when it comes to the amount of time that people are playing – but do you find that the, let's say, the nutritional recommendations or the nutritional requirements of people playing football and soccer, are they the same? Are there any differences? Or what do you think yourself? Um, as a kind of global guideline for anyone in that um, like field-based sport environment, still have a strong bearing on carbohydrates for their fuel source. Um, so when it comes to games on the weekends or games on whatever day they fall on, we make sure there's a significant carbohydrate loading phase that is kind of matched up with the intensity of the game and the amount of time they're going to be playing with. Outside of that, depending on where they're at, we still focus on body composition goals, still keeping protein intakes high. And then it's kind of that sweet spot of fueling for, you know, that phrase, the work required. So if they have a low intensity training session, or if for the amateur guys, if they're in work all day, then there's not a huge requirement for them to be loading back a, lar a large amount of carbohydrates. So that's kind of where I come at from it. Um, sort of a twofold kind of goal, managing the day-to-day -day stuff. And then when it comes to the actual game days themselves, making sure that we're set up and ready to go, and ready to roll for that. Okay, so you, you mentioned there um, about like fueling for what they need. Um, do you find with a lot of, let's say, okay, so you work with some professionals and, and you work with people playing GAA, which is more of a, an amateur field as well. Do you find that there are a lot of people who are overfueling 
for the sports that they're playing. Is it is it something that's very very common, or do you see that underfueling is happening quite frequently as well? Um, it's a bit of both. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's it's overfueling for a training session and then underfueling for the game itself, which obviously doesn't make sense, but it's that kind of, I think that there's a perception or an attitude that they have their bases covered uh, when it comes to, oh, well, you know, I've eaten enough and the game is no different, but the game itself is obviously going to be of a considerable, considerably higher intensity relative to the training sessions. So that's just, that's just to manage um, fatigue leading up to a game. So I ha I've definitely had guys who are like, cool, carbohydrate, no problem. And, you know, they might have a skill-based session on a Monday and they're fueling for it as if it's a 90-minute game that's high intensity. And then when it comes to the game, they're like, ah, yeah, well, I kind of did it as I was told to. And then they're hitting the wall kind of 60, 70 minutes into the game and they're not able to do their best. Even though they might have the skill and the ability to perform better, the fuel just isn't there. Got it. So if we're talking about fueling people up, like you mentioned carbs already, and like you know, we, we know for a lot of, kind of high-intensity sports, carbs really are king. Um, do you have kind of a, a carb intake level that you recommend people to fuel up with, or what kind of strategies do you use when you're getting people to prepare for a game? Uh, for the game itself, we use a as close to as a traditional carbohydrate load as possible. So we kind of start 48 hours out um, because I you know, everybody lies on some state on some level. So I know there's not going to be 100% compliance with hitting the targets that they're required when it comes to carbohydrate. So we kind of, or I kind of give them that kind of leeway of, okay, try and do this over two days. So at least we know we're going to have as close to optimal um, or optimally full glycogen stores by the time the game comes around. Um, that's kind of the way I look at it from a recommendations why, like point of view. It is that kind of, I suppose, lower end would be eight grams per kilogram of body weight, and then higher end would be, I suppose I'd be lucky if I got the, the 12, but I'll settle for the 10 grams per kilogram of body weight over those kind of two days, and that's what I kind of shoot for. Obviously, I'd love to go a little bit higher in, in some occasions, depending on like the position that uh, players are, are, are in, and in terms of like maybe their GPS data, stuff like that, but that's kind of where, where I where I fall. Okay, so if we if we kind of look at those numbers, if you're talking, let's say, just kind of take something in the middle, 10 grams per kilogram of body weight of carbs a day. So for standard 70 kilogram man, 80 kilogram man, let's say 80 kilos, that's 800 grams carbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a that lot. That is a lot of rice, okay? Do you find there's a lot of kind of, let's say, kind of pushback from, from players when they kind of realize how much food that actually is? Um, not as much as you think. For some, yeah, and that's why we kind of set a range and we kind of monitor how performance is or how maybe performance went for, say, someone who wasn't fueled as well as, say, someone who actually hits the higher thresholds. And then we kind of say, okay, cool. Well, if you find it difficult to fuel with, say, you know, say we're using a lot of rice, then we're, okay, we're like, okay, cool. What's a little bit easier for you to reach that target? So, okay, we, we try to form a little bit of a compromise between the amount of rice versus, say, cool, we can throw in a few, like, jelly beans or 
couple of slices of bread, maybe some jam, stuff like that, uh, sports drinks, something that's easy for them to maybe hit that higher threshold when the amount of food that they can basically consume is the limiting factor. Okay. So basically you can kind of, you can offer to offer to them that uh, they don't need, they can have some lower residue foods, some, let's say more processed sugars, things that are, like you said, easier to digest, probably a little bit more palatable and a little bit e easier to eat in higher amounts too. Yeah. And, and I actually had a really interesting case uh, earlier in the year where a player came to me and was experiencing really bad, um, like gastrointestinal discomfort uh, leading up to the game. So there's like, it was, it was really bad, like one of the worst cases that I had ever heard. And obviously, like, there's a level of anxiety to do with playing, like, important games. But to the point where, like, he just wasn't able to hold things down. So what we did, instead of doing a more kind of traditional kind of strategy, is Monday to maybe Wednesday, we kind of front-loaded all, like, the, the higher-fiber foods and veg and stuff like that. And then, because the game was on a Friday, we started to position kind of really low residue foods um, like we got rid of basically all fiber based things and just tried like smaller meals, smaller amounts for those two days leading up to the game. And it was just like, he was just like, yeah, zero issue with gastrointestinal discomfort, zero issue with taking on the amount of food that he needed. And it just led him to, I suppose, experience a game without that kind of discomfort played as well as you could obviously there's going to be nerves but the nerves didn't activate a more i suppose nefarious situation by affecting um i suppose the gut and how he felt um, before the game which is really cool i mean it was really great because good player good guy and he was able to do quite well so it was chuffed with that but that's just an example of how things can go and that's kind of another example of basically how you need to really tailor not, not necessarily the nutritional recommendations themselves, but the way the nutritional recommendations are implemented with each different player. And it's kind of a, an example of how individual everybody's own nutrition plan is going to be, right? Yeah, and that's why as much as I'd love to be able to go, okay, cool, 10 to 12 grams per kilogram body weight, and this is what you do, this is what it looks like, follow through on this. People are people, and at the end of the day, they're going to do what they can, and they're going to do what they feel they're able to do. And if you just troubleshoot that, maybe by opening out that phase a little bit more, then that's what you got to do. Very, very well said. I want to segue off something you said there. Just before I do, I just want to say hello to everybody. Liam Nagel, how are we doing? CP Fitness. Uh, Liam. Mike Ashby, how are you guys doing? The lads. Loads of people there. Guys, if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a bit of a like down, down below. Show us the love, okay? Um, so one thing I wanted to, to kind of segue off that was, you mentioned um, gastrointestinal discomfort being an issue. And so we do know that, that with higher intakes of carbs, people can get some stomach upsets. Um, yeah. What sports do you see that occurring in most frequently? Uh, long distance running, definitely triathlon because, well, first of all, with, with like marathons, um, you have the, basically the stomach starts to rattle like after a certain point it's that it's the the effect of impact so if you know you have the prime example of someone who takes in a lot of food maybe only in the day before maybe the morning of and then they start a little bit of nerves maybe higher fiber intake and uh, maybe just too much food and that kind of progresses and 
know, after a while you do start that stomach, not rattle, but that's what people feel like it and uh, feel like it is. So, um, blood moves away, like obviously tries to move away from the peripheral tissues, moves, uh, moves away from the stomach and moves towards peripheral tissues. And then you end up with that kind of lack of digestion because there's other things that are more important in that, in that moment. Uh, same with like triathlon, because you go from the swim to the bike, you're in that position, obviously to be more aerodynamic, you're in a position where you're hunched over the bike. If you do have anything in your gastrointestinal tract, once you get off the bike, then you, ex you can experience, and it's quite common, even in the guys who prepare as best as possible for them to experience just general gastrointestinal discomfort. I would see it in field-based sports as well, just, and that's more to do with eating probably um, too close to the start of a game. So to, from a proximity point of view, um, eating perhaps maybe a bigger meal than they're used to. And those are the kind of things you have to kind of troubleshoot um, overall. And then even from a, from a gym point of view, so say someone's doing like a longer, maybe sort of CrossFit style workout um, or one of like the, a wad that's a little bit longer and they've had something close to it. Because of the intensity of the workout, you do end up experiencing some gastrointestinal discomfort, which again can be obviously problematic on the, the uh, effectiveness of the training session or if it's even worse competition, then there's issues there too. So what kind of strategies do you have for kind of helping people to deal with that? And kind of, let's say, if you, even if you can't eliminate it entirely, is there anything you can do to, to reduce the severity of, of those GI effects? I, it's sort of getting used to what you know works. So if there's a specific food that you feel you can take in routinely around training that doesn't affect, um, I suppose, performance from a gut point of view, stick with that. Don't try and do something different because someone else told you. Uh, then it's kind of nailing down a time frame. So maybe like like from a from a guidelines point of view, it's that like four to sixty. So four hours out down to sixty minutes out. So four hours down to one hour out is kind of your time frame. And I have had individuals who have been fine like at the four hours and anything under that when they go to competition they go to play the game they have trouble i've had guys who can stomach a lot more within the 60 minute window and are fine which i think is crazy but that's the kind of variation that you have and it's trying to work within that so it could be anywhere from 60 minutes out to four hours some people just they're freaks and are able to tolerate stuff a lot closer, but it's just trying to work with the individual and trying to find out, okay, cool. This is what you experienced when we did this training session with this amount of food in your stomach at this amount of time out from the training session. Let's try and push that back a little bit and watch and observe performance. Do you feel better? Do you have the same amount of energy? Did you notice any gastrointestinal discomfort? So that's kind of the way we work it. So a very, very kind of individualized, individualized I want to say, I'm going to say trial and error approach. Um, and kind of essentially, that's what it is, um, although we, we'd like to kind of say it a little well, bit more nicely. It's not really well, trial and error, yeah, there is, it's trial and error, but the hope is that you trial it during the stages where it doesn't have a huge amount of, yeah. or a huge negative uh, outcome. So you're not going to do it before a game. You're going to do it in a training session that, that is quite similar to a game in the intensity and the amount of time that the person spends in. And then we kind of just can take that and apply it then to the game itself, for example. Okay. Um, 
I want, I've just noticed somebody popped a question in here regarding fat intake for athletes. Um, and they were just asking, uh, I can try to scroll back and see if I can find it. Um, yeah, just fat intake in general. Um, uh, we can take that, let's take that from kind of a health perspective or a, um, and a sports perspective, perspective if you want. What are your own thoughts on fat intake? Um, I suppose generally speaking, I'll kind of sit somewhere between that 25% to 30, 35% of calories, depending on maybe the phase of training that we're in or the calendar point of the calendar that we're in. So perhaps closer to like more of a competitive phase, I'll side that with the lower end of things. So maybe 25%. And that might only be in the days leading up to a competitive event and earlier in the week, or depending when it is, we might have a little bit higher or more around that 30% of total um, calorie requirements there. Generally for an athlete, I'll prefer them to side with carbohydrate sources um, over fat as a kind of a fuel source, unless we're doing some specific kind of work to do with, you know, um, metabolic flexibility or trying to improve that aspect. Um, but usually that's where I side. I just think that there can be a little bit too much, not at risk, but again, if you want to talk about the gastrointestinal discomfort point of view, too much fat around or even in a day and then coming to a training session can interfere with, again, how you feel in, in that training session. Okay. You um, Again, I want to segue off something that you mentioned there. Um, you, you mentioned me uh, metabolic flexibility. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they, we could go down a, a very, very deep rabbit hole. Um, uh, <laughs> read, I'm reading CP Fitness as a comment. Um, yeah. So that, can we talk a little bit about um, metabolic flexibility and um, potentially the different roles of carbs and fats in periodizing food nutrition for an endurance athlete? Yeah, I mean, I'll try and keep it like pretty, pretty simple, but uh, the body can use both as a fuel source. One is potentially more for the higher end of like exercise intensity. So if we consider an endurance event um, for people who want to win, it's probably better to have a good grasp of carbohydrate utilization. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't use fat as a fuel source in that instance, but it's more to be able to utilize fat at lower intensities. So you're not eating into those carbohydrate stores that could be saved or utilized for that higher intensity um, burst that when you need it. So I, I don't think it's ever a case of saying to an athlete, you're going to be like, like a, a fat fueled athlete, or you're going to be primarily a carbohydrate fueled athlete. You want to have, or at least have some time spent, where maybe fat's being prioritized a little bit, or at least being the switch is being turned on to be able to use that at given intensity. And then at the same time, still have plenty of ability and use um, and requirements for use for carbohydrates at those higher intensities. So it's basically a switch between cool, lower intensity, fat as a fuel source, higher intensity, carbohydrate as a fuel source. You said something that made me smile there, and that was, if you want to win, 
Okay, and I, I, I do genuinely think that that's an important point because um, there's a lot of people who get into the dogma of saying, okay, I'm going to be completely fat-fueled. I'm assuming fat is better. Um, and other people who say, I want to be completely carb-fueled or whatever. At the end of the day, you're looking for one measure of performance, and that, perform, that measure of performance is how did you do in the race? Okay, what was your time? And, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're getting that by by um, fueling yourself with carbs or fats or vodka, if you do it, that's success. Okay, so I think people should kind of like be less focused on kind of, you know, trying to get a, a certain way of doing it and just focus on the results and whatever helps them to get those results. Oftentimes it, it is a very, very high carb approach, but being able to, um, to use those fats is important too. So just for, for people who, um, let's say if we have any endurance athletes watching, if somebody wants to improve their body's ability to use fats, but they don't want to, let's say, um, interfere with their body's ability to use carbohydrates as well, what kind of strategies might they be able to, um, to apply to their training yes. or to their so nutritional program? Yeah, um, you can do some sort of, like when I say fasted training sessions, so do like a, a lower intensity session um, under kind of fasted control. So that could be a case of where you're, you don't have carbohydrate beforehand, um, like some people do before they do like a, a, a longer kind of run. And then afterwards you might not replenish the carbohydrate or replenish your sort of fuel sources with carbohydrates. You might just go for something protein based. And then that would be an example of it there. Uh, you could equally have days where you know, it's kind of considered a rest day and you just have more, uh, I suppose, protein and fat sources relative to, say, carbohydrate-based meals. Um, and then later on in the week, you could have more moderate amounts of carbohydrate and then still have those higher intakes for those higher-intensity training sessions. And that just means that neither of, I suppose, the body's, the body's abilities to switch between the two, sort, the two fuel sources is being completely blunted. Because the, the problem is, for someone who goes, cool, we're just going full, full on like fat fueled athlete. You turn off the the enzyme or the, the ability for for that enzyme to be expressed that utilizes carbohydrate, because then that causes trouble when you try to reintroduce it. You can't use it as well. And then similarly, if you're only going carbohydrate source based, you can lose that ability to utilize that, as I said, fat at those lower intensities, meaning that you're burning into those stores of carbohydrate where that might be better kept for this higher intensity aspect. So something like training fasted, you know, recovering in a low carbohydrate state or a carbohydrate depleted state for maybe a lower intensity uh, training session, but that was a little bit more endurance focused. Um, you could go with the sleep low kind of thing. So again, it's kind of recover low aspect of sleeping after a training session in a low carbohydrate state. Um, if you're doing two-day training sessions, you do one in a carbohydrate-depleted state, um, and that, those kind of things. And then you're, from a dietary point of view, it's, as I said, you could do low days and high days and moderate days, um, depending on what kind of training that you're doing. So like, there, there's a lot of, let's say, play with the different amounts of carbohydrates that somebody's eating and fasting and things like that. Obviously, you know, people listening to this, you're not going to get this approach straight away like that. Speak with somebody who knows what they're talking about. If you, if you want, give Rab a call here at the end and 
you know, get get working with him just so you know what you're doing. And and I'm being genuinely serious about that because a lot of people kind of will will hear about a strategy and be like, okay, I'm going to do this now, and they won't have a clue about how to implement it properly and get the most out of it. And just working with somebody who actually knows what they're doing and who's done this with other athletes before and who's able to kind of give you the advice and support you need is absolutely essential. Um, just my my two uh, my two cents <laughs> of that. Yeah, um, I, mean, I want to say. Yeah. Go on. No, right. I I was just going to say that like I'm not anti either approach i would just like people to be wise about the limitations of doing something and i think there's if there's a better way to do it that results in the person actually getting better at their given discipline then why would you not choose to do it that way you're not missing out by like like you're not going to get kicked out of the club if you want to be um you know a better athlete but the the team that you um, subscribe to are all high fat like at the end of the day, you're going to be better than them if you're somewhat high fat at some stage, and then the rest of the time you're carbohydrate fueled. Um, like as as Richie pointed out, like the end outcome is your performance gets better, not that you're part of any particular dietary tribe who just so happens to be an athlete as well. Same could be applied for diet in general, really. Um, I'm going to say hello to Almir. How are you doing? Long time no see. Um, Dara, how are we doing? Jenny, Mark Sheeran, long time no see. How are you doing, brother? Carl, <laughs> Deb, it's great to see you. People actually listen to us. Amazing. Um, if you're liking what you're hearing, guys, give us a bit of love down below. Like, Hit that like button. Um, Rob, I'm going to pop up a few questions here that I got from some people um, that people ask specifically. Here's one. Um, CrossFit competition. Uh, three to four workouts in a day refueling strategies okay so we were we spoke a little bit earlier about fueling up carb loading before a match this is a slightly different situation where we've got somebody who's doing multiple high intensity um let's say bouts of exercise throughout the day and they have the opportunity to refuel so what kind of strategies would you generally recommend in situations like that i'd still recommend some form of um carbohydrate load prior to the event but then in between the different events, you've got optimal opportunity to get some more carbohydrate on board. So depending on the amount of time that you have in between events, I suppose I'm going to, I'm going to speculate. Maybe you might have around the hour, two hour mark, maybe, maybe it's shorter, but you still have time to get on board. Something that is easily digestible will give you enough energy and we'll kind of stave off hunger for the most part. So if we think about that, like I'm going to take the, the data from, or the, the guidelines from say, um, I suppose, uh, endurance, like durations, duration wise. So you maybe have that kind of 30 grams to 60 grams, um, in between that kind of, uh, time frame. So maybe 30 grams per, yeah, uh, somebody were between 30 and 60 grams of carbohydrate would be a good idea, maybe a little bit more if you can stomach it. And that's the other thing, like as much as the guidelines are, are useful, it's still about how you feel going into that next event. So those things are, be, are to be considered. So say your first event is maybe more of, you know, say, I suppose it's got a run component to it. It's got maybe some sort of like gymnastics component to it. It doesn't really have anything lifting focused. That might be useful from a, you've got your carbohydrate load covered on that point. So that'll cover you. 
but then you've got a rest and then your next event might be something like barbell related. So it might be, you know, um, could be, what, what was that event in the last CrossFit Games? It was basically like a, a, a press, a deadlift and a squat. So it was a max kind of on all those. So that might be something where you don't need a huge amount or you can get away with having um, some more carbohydrate because it's not too uh, taxing on the, on the gut. So that might be useful there. And then your third event might be something like a chip or some of that, which because it's so intense, because it could go on for a significant amount of time at a high intensity, again, it might be worthwhile getting on something or getting in something that is easy to digestible and can give you enough fuel. So again, maybe that's 60 grams of carbohydrate for that given event. But it's, it's still going to be about how you feel and it's still going to be about maxing or finding that balance between the two um, of fueling enough for the training session and then fueling enough so you're not feeling ill going into it. And I suppose a little yeah, bit of protein in there as well would, wouldn't, wouldn't go wrong. I think that's kind of that's really really important what you just said about um, not going in ill to the next round. Um, like I, I I've seen like when I was younger and when I was playing sports on the rare occasions that I did, um, we were told you know bring some sandwiches, have some sandwiches just before the match, you know, and we'd see guys who would have sandwiches with about a layer of ham and cheese that was about two centimeters thick going into a match, and what. We're kind of like for some people that might be fine, but for other people, you have to find something that works for you on an individual level that is not going to give you an upset stomach, something that's light, something that's quick to digest. Um, do you have any kind of recommended foods that you often see yourself going to kind of regularly in, in kind of situations like that, where you want something that's easy to digest for people um, and just gives them that energy boost that they need? Um, yeah, like I still say things like rice i still say things like bread because they're easy to get your hands on um at that kind of at those kind of things i say sports drinks i say like jellies they're still okay um to to have some dried fruit ones that have a little bit low fiber relative to say the amount of that you can take in a handful and um, but those are kind of still the the go-to's that i'd I'd recommend. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, like I know for, for say like those like um, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I was still talking. Oh, sorry. Are you still there? I'm still here. Um, yeah, cool. Um, and then there's like maybe even Lucozade tablets or like energy gels or anything like that will, will do if it means you can stomach it. So it just depends on, like I don't have a set list of things. I think there's a list of things that I'd like to cycle through on the basis of, um, on the basis of what is available. Okay, cool. Let's have a look at one of the other questions that we have here. Um, okay. Uh, do you, just, just out of curiosity, I'm looking at a few here. So, do you want to stick with sports performance, or would you like to get into health with this? What are you feeling? Yeah, I, I'm happy to go with whatever. Okay. Um, just because um, I did a post on it today, uh, let's go with this one. Any health issues with meat, red meat consumption? So, I, I've got a, I've got a fairly solid opinion on this myself. 
Where what about you? How do you? What are your kind of thoughts on red meat? Yeah, I'm still here. Cool. You sort of dropped out at the pivotal point in that question, so I was like, my apologies. So I was just saying, I have a, I've got a fairly um, kind of like, uh, I've got a fairly good idea of what my opinion on this is. I want to ask you yours first. Um, health issues with meat or red meat? Um, I'm pretty flexible when it comes to my red meat intake. So I, I think that the best advice is probably don't make red meat the entirety of your diet. Still have plenty of vegetables with it. Like don't don't be don't be stupid. So don't don't force an issue where there potentially is no issue of being like, cool. You said red meat is safe, therefore I'm going to have all of the red meat all the time. Uh, no one is saying that. Like no one is forcing those kind of viewpoints on you. It's just saying that you can have a certain amount of red meat and still fall in line with what's what's healthy. Uh, I know a friend of mine who did his PhD kind of like on gut health, ironically, and, and um, colon health and colon cancer, basically just looking at red meat intake and what you kind of need to offset risk or any potential risk. And it was pretty much like, if you're going to have red meat, have plenty of vegetables, plenty of fiber from different sources, have like, like insoluble and soluble fiber, and that will cover your bases from any potential risk that's there. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, uh, no, I'd be, I'm very much of the, the kind of same opinion. Um, there are, there's so much debate um, about red meat, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got like the, the kind of the whole entirely plant-based area as well, in that, you know, you've got, you have people taking sides, and this happens in, you'll know yourself, this happens in nutrition all the time, that people will take one approach, and then there'll be another side that will take another approach, um, and it's very, very easy to do that, to be dichotomous, to say, okay, we're going to have, I'm all for the meat, or, and then you've got another side, I'm all for the veg. Um, and people don't like to play within that kind of gray area in between. We kind of, from experience, you know, um, and just from the, the research itself, it seems that the actual optimum levels of health seem to be somewhere within that gray area, either at one extreme or the other. Not saying that, um, you know, you can't live a perfectly healthy diet if you're, um, eating nothing but vegetables, you absolutely can. Um, but you can also have a diet that's incredibly high in vegetables and has a little bit of meat in it and you're still perfectly healthy and you get whatever benefits from having that bit of meat, whatever whatever it does provide you. Um, so yeah, um, I think we're kind of, yeah, we've got a similar view on that. Let's look at another question that some people have given us here. Um, okay. Now we kind of, touched on this, but I just want to go specifically into the last part of it. So you can overfuel for sports. We discussed that earlier. But if so, how do you know? How do you know if you're overfueling? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so in an event, physical feeling. So monitor how you feel. If you're feeling a little bit more sluggish relative to, say, you know, um, previous uh, competitive, like competitive events, that would be a big factor. So monitor how your stomach feels. If you feel that kind of like weird kind of digestion kind of thing, that's a potential sign there. Um, if you're talking about like chronic overfueling, it'll more so manifest itself in, I suppose, negative changes in body composition if it's over time. So 
again, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example. I had an individual who was pretty much chronically overfueling. Um, it was pretty much just an old carbohydrate diet. And this guy wasn't basically using it as he should be in games. So um, he wasn't playing as much as, as some of the other guys. Um, training sessions were, were as normal, but basically was taking in the equivalent of like a routine kind of mini carbohydrate load every second or third day. And so that's going to be a considerable factor from a body composition point of view. So that might be another factor to, to consider. If you're overfueling, you're going to notice it in competition, and you're going to notice it from a body composition point of view. And then you're probably going to notice it from, I suppose, look at your, your well, your training performance might be unbelievable, but it, you might be able to find a sweet spot between that overfueling and optimal fueling, I guess. Mm-hmm. I suppose, especially when you're talking about chronic overfueling and the issues with body composition, um, it will get to a point where if, you're, if your weight is kind of steadily going up and that is mostly body fat, there comes to a point where it's just not efficient to be kind of running or doing whatever with that extra weight. And like you said, you want to get that sweet spot of kind of weight and fueling and performance all together. Yeah, yeah, and again, a lot of the like, a lot of the the players that I would be working with, like, would be getting their like body fat levels tested or their skin fold measurements tested. And again, because there is that kind of like um, environment where it's, you know, you're trying to prove yourself to your your peers and the and the coaching staff, if it's something that you notice, like, hey, my the the numbers are going up instead of down, what am I doing wrong? then perhaps it's time to look at, if you're doing the same training and your training's improving, cool, then it might be a case of looking at your dietary intake. And if you're like, well, I'm probably overfueling. And it might not even be a case of anything too drastic. It might just be removing carbohydrate from maybe one or two meals in a day, or maybe be, maybe one day in the week is just a lower intake of carbohydrate relative to say others it can be something simple like that but the point is that there might be a, a, an overfueling issue from that point of view. okay fantastic um so did you get any questions that you'd like to kind of bring up yourself there that you'd like to kind of discuss well i got i got one to do with um that kind of bloating before a game and we kind of addressed that in what we said earlier about like if if you're experiencing, like if you're fueling correctly or appear to be fueling correctly, but in the lead up to a game, you're feeling kind of like, as we described, like a little bit bloated, a little bit uneasy, and then that manifests itself in how you play, then it'll be about kind of tapering back. First of all, examining what you've had and then tapering back on, per, on perhaps um, the amount and then specific types of what you've taken in. So as I said, if it's going to be, like, if you notice that, cool, I had a lot of potatoes, then I had, like, veg as well, and then maybe something that has a little bit more fiber. We switch that around and say, cool, let's try and position that as far away from the event or the game as as possible to try and avoid that. And then we still factor in things like hydration, make sure you get in fluid, maybe avoid things like coffee, maybe even caffeine. I know there's, that's kind of the, the specifics when it comes to um, like performance, but sometimes that, that'll be an irritant to the gut 
that will have an issue from, I suppose, your performance overall. Does that make okay. sense? Okay. Uh, no, it does absolutely. Um, I've just noticed we have a question down here at the bottom that's just come in. Um, how many weight do you think that have to lift the basketball player and bench press? Um, I'm not sure I entirely understand that question. Do you have any As in, what's, what's a good measure of strength for a basketball player? Let's say it's that. Let's say it's that. Um, that's a tough question. Um, that is a tough question. I'd say, like, if you look at the specificity of, like, if you think about specificity there for a second, like, what are the requirements in basketball? So there's nothing particularly involving maximal strength there might be a sort of speed strength aspect to it that perhaps the bench press and the squat will be useful for but beyond a certain point there might be like it's not going to do you any harm but you might be better off spending your time working more specific basketball related stuff for your sport maybe some sort of power movements maybe a little bit of plyometric based stuff because that's your that's your specific sport but if you can manage to do the same, you know, if you can manage to eke out a pretty nifty bench press, um, one RM or three RM, and a pretty nifty squat, that'll be pretty good. I'd probably say the squat would be more specific or would have better carryover in that instance than the bench press. Just from a jump potential, would that be it? Yeah, yeah. But again, Just there might be, there's a limiting. There's obviously going to be a limiting factor there if you start going into the higher end ranges and it impacts on your maybe recovery point of view mm -hmm. for for your sport just i just want to kind of touch on this just because i i've kind of you piqued my interest there a bit so the football team and the soccer team that you're working with is there um let's say a well-developed snc element to their training yes very much so um obviously for the professional outfit yes for the amateur outfit there's still a considerable um S&C aspect to it for sure and that's been kind of cool to be able to see how that kind of relates to I suppose performance outcomes as well yeah no I, I like personally you know so let's say the exercise side of the equation is not something that I'm let's say I have any kind of formal training in whatsoever but I do really really like to see that there is this major kind of this kind of new focus going on to SNC in in sports that traditionally wouldn't have had a huge SNC background. So um, let's say professional um, soccer, football, Gaelic football in Ireland, hurling, things like that. People are kind of realizing that that the strength that they can develop with kind of a well-programmed SNC program really, really can carry over onto the field and kind of carry over performance. So yeah, that's, uh, absolutely, that's, yeah. that's really, really good to see. Um, Rab. It's been absolutely amazing picking your brains. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this. It has. Um, I'm glad you, you sound like you're surprised. No, no, no. It's just, you know, when you're asked to do something live and you're like, what if I say something that's like completely heretical in the, the realm of nutrition and, you know, then draw the ire of all these people that come out of the woodwork and they start saying, you're not really a nutritionist at all. So it's been good that I haven't said anything like that. That you know of, yeah. Give people yeah, a moment yeah. to, uh, to call us out. Uh, a big hello yeah. to Tony, who's just dropped in from the very, very end of the, uh, 
of the live. Good to see you, Tony. And yes, we are the two sexiest Irishmen around. Um, Tony, right. my heart, my heart belongs to you, Tony. Right. On that note, um, Rob, it's been a pleasure. Uh, just before we go, how can people find you um, on, let's say, social media or websites, anything like that? Uh, best place is probably Instagram. I'm about as active on Instagram as is required of someone i try to be anyway so you can find me obviously at das nutrition um and everything else can like relating to what i do can be found through that so the link in my bio um hashtag link in bio has um sort of a separate link to my website and to things i've written emails etc questionnaires whatever else you want to find it's all there so that's probably the best place to look for me and I'd really recommend everybody hop over to Rab's site, uh, Rab's Instagram, follow him. He puts out some absolutely amazing content. Read his posts, okay? He just makes sense, okay? Um, I'm and saying I use pretty too. colors as well. And he uses pretty colors. And, you know, at the end of the day on Instagram, that's all that matters. That's all that. Yeah. Uh, okay, but. Rab, I'm going to say goodbye to you now. Um, you. We will chat again soon after I finish up here. 100%. And. Um, I think we should definitely do this again at some at some stage because uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm all for it. Yeah, 100%, right. Richie. I appreciate that. All right, Rob. Cool. That's, Have a good okay. night. Very, very much. Thank you. you too. Take it easy, mate. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please, please, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps spread word of the podcast to new listeners. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live uh, or ask questions for our guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at Be More Nutrition. Uh, I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.